Welcome to Black Writer Therapy, a podcast where Black women writers are invited to sit on the proverbial couch, have a cup of tea, and share the stories behind the stories, and what it really takes to write books about Black women in an industry that still prefers white as the default. I'm your host, published author and unlicensed therapist, Alishine. Black Writer Therapy is now in session. Robin Farmer is an award-winning author, screenwriter, and journalist. She specializes in strong female protagonists interested in identity, truth-telling, and service to others. Her Catholic upbringing in Philadelphia generated guilt and stories, including her debut YA novel, Malcolm and Me, 2020. Hi, how are you doing, Miss Farmer? I'm so excited to have you here on Black Writer Therapy Podcast. In fact, um, I'm a little kind of intimidated. You have so much going on, and I'm just like, uh-oh, why did this lady even say yes to my little podcast? So, Robin Farmer, welcome to Black Writer Therapy Podcast and the the uh, virtual therapy couch. Thanks for having me, and I'm always willing to talk about mental health. And that is so good. I think writers, uh, that's one of the things writers, especially Black women writers, tend to kind of shy away from. And I think we're the ones who would benefit the most from these conversations about, um, you know, everything. So I usually like to ask my guests um, this question. So you're going to get the same one. How are you feeling today? I'm a little bit frazzled because I had a couple deadlines right before we sat down to talk, but also in talking about mental health, um, it's important for me to roller skate and I skate on Monday nights. Because it's the armor. It's look, roller skate. I roller skate. I took it up after like what 40 years of not being on skates. And so it's the only time during the week that I don't have this. Right? I'm not attached to my phone. I leave it in the car and I'm in the moment. I'm listening to the music and a lot of it, you know, when I was a teenager, I'm trying to be cute on my skates. I'm so in the moment. And for me, it's a highlight each week to go skating, right? Because I'm doing something that I love and it, you know, talk about mental health, stress relief, exercise, but it's still fun. Yeah. Oh my gosh. That is so cool. And it's, I'm telling you why I'm like, oh my God, (laughs) I'm in the middle of writing a, um, a kind of shared world uh romance novel and okay and it's i chose roller derby as my sport it's a sports term and i had no had no knowledge of roller derby at all and so i said let's go buy a pair of roller skates and get on them so i can at least like you know know how the body moves or something so you skate too okay miss farmer look <laughs> no ma'am but I want to, I just remember I put the skates on and I, I went skating and I didn't fall as many 
times as I thought I would. I fell, obviously, but right. it wasn't right. as bad as I thought it was going to follow right. either. And right. I just remember being in the skating rink and rolling around to all the good music and dancing and doing little tricks. And I was like, well, I really want to start skating again. And But I'm also like, girl, this body is 48 years old. Honey, I'm much, and- I'm much older than you. All you got to do is wear your protective gear. Always protect your wrist when you fall. You don't want to break your wrist your elbows, and your knees. And take lessons. I take lessons, too, so I can skate backwards with swagger. Do you think I could find a roller skating teacher here in South yes, Carolina? Can. I know we have go, a lot of adults. Go to the University of Google and ask. Because that is exactly what I'm going to do. I never even thought about seeking somebody to help me learn again yeah. to skate. Oh, oh Miss Farmer, I think you just became my like favorite Oh my gosh, I love that. How are you healing? I'm roller skate. That's what I'm doing. Wow. Okay. Well, I'm going to just, I was kind of boggled. I'm not, I'm not kidding. I'm looking at all of the stuff, right? So I'm like, this woman is an award-winning everything. You're currently, we'll get to that later. You are an extremely accomplished woman, but you're also all over. Yeah, I've always had different interests from fencing to trying to fly gliders. But, you know, I'm at the point in life where it's like, you better do it now. (laughs) Right? You better do it now. Yes. 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 I thought that's why you I just saw the movie. I directed a movie in February. We just wrapped that up. It's going to premiere in August down here. I'm looking at festivals to submit it to. And that's because I always wanted to write and direct movies. But when I graduated from Marquette, I, I wasn't so sure that I could make it in Hollywood. I knew I could get a job as a reporter. So I went that <laughs> way. But that love for screenwriting and directing never left. Wow. So that full circle moment, really. I Well, congratulations. That's pretty awesome. So, yeah, I have a friend who actually, he, I don't know what kind of movies he does. I don't know what he does, honestly. But he's always at film festivals. So I I hope you find the right one. And I know it will do well because I'm just like enamored with your writing. Yeah. I can't fangirl yet, but just know I will. Okay, then don't. <laughs> Don't laugh at me when I do. Um, We're getting ready to go into the first segment of the show, and that is intentional writing. Intentional writing, as I like to think about it, is the healing process, right? The writing that heals. And I don't know that we think about the writing that we're doing as, as kind of cathartic and healing. For other people, I know for the most part, we understand the cathartic nature of it for ourselves, but um, I don't know that we get it for that it heals other folk as well. So um, that's that's kind of where I want to go to. So in the intake form, I said, what's the most cathartic book you've ever written? And you said, Malcolm and me. My, my book, baby, my debut, it's all about 
it's about a lot of things because like corn syrup, you know, I touch a lot of different, it's, it's everything, right? <laughs> the, the umbrella of that book is adult hypocrisy. But honey, you can fit everything under adult hypocrisy, which is why I write racism and religion, uh, religious wrangling and dysfunctional families and political corruption, because it all goes under under that. But to answer your question, writing that book helped me heal what happened to me when I was 11 years old. And that's how the book starts. Um it's an incident that shaped the trajectory of my life. Right. And it's not a coincidence that I grew up to be a journalist, right? To try to dig out the truth and scrutinize powerful yep. people. It's all related to what happened into that, in that classroom. But also, what happened in that classroom shaped my, what I call, heart themes. Everything I write about. It's about young women, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15 trying to discover their voice, their truth. And when they do, they use it to amplify, to become advocates for marginalized people. And so what happened in that classroom, mm -hmm. that, um, and this is a true story, only in the book, she's 13 in real life. I was 11, and I was in sixth grade and sister oh. asked the class, why did, Thomas, why did Thomas Jefferson sign a declaration of independence? And at the time he owned slaves. Yes, Robin, because he was a hypocrite. Apparently, that was not the answer she was seeking. Sister turned scarlet, pounded her desk, pointed to the classroom door, and said, Who do you think you are, Robin Farmer? How dare you talk about one of our forefathers who built this great nation like that? Who do you think you are? Get out. Get out of my classroom, get back in the boat, go back to Africa. We never needed you people in the first place. So I was 11. That happened to you? Swear for God, there's no reason for me to lie. I was 11 when I saw racism and religion collide at the hands of one flawed bride of Christ. And it changed my life. If my life had been a movie, that was a major turning point because then I realized, you know what? This religion is bullshit, right? Okay. Right? And it started, it started my spiritual journey, which continues today. I, I don't, I don't, you know, people want to go to church, whatever. I don't have any problems with it. Institutionalized religion is not for me. I learned that at a young age. You're in, you're in good company. Yeah. Yeah. So that incident really, really scarred me. And see, I was a teenager in the 70s. And back then, you, <laughs> yeah, we I was born, I was born in 74. And I just, oh, look, we didn't have this, though. We got, we got away with murder. But anyway, it, it scarred me for a couple reasons. One, I didn't talk about it. I just pushed it way, way down I was traumatized and I you know in the book you know she has both parents in real life my mom had already divorced my father and she was working and she was doing the best she could she had no idea how deeply this scarred me my friends knew not to even talk about it right no one we just didn't talk about it 
Uh, but what happened is three years after that, we used to have this magazine called Write On Magazine. That was, it was, it was everything, right? Michael Jackson, Diana Ross, anybody who was anybody. Well, anyway, they had this contest. It was the first Black awareness essay contest. And I entered and I wrote about this fight and, you know, the lessons I learned and I won. Not only did I win, but they put my picture in the paper, in, in the magazine, right? National magazine, right? But it would be 26 more years before I would write about it again. And that's when I was applying for a journalism fellowship at the University of Michigan. And they wanted us to, you know, say something about growing up. And a friend who knew the story said, why don't you write about the thing, you know, the fights with your nuns that you had? That's important because when you get a fellowship like that, they open up the university to you and you don't, you know, you don't have to do any work. You have to sign a contract that you won't work for money and stuff. And so it's just time to think and reflect. Well, I took a screenwriting course. And so during this year of, you know, just drinking sherry and traveling and stuff, I started thinking about that incident and, and, and what it meant to me and, and how it shaped me and, and I realized I was still angry. I was still very, very angry at sister, right? So I tell you that because from that year, I decided to write a screenplay about that incident. I called it Angel Dressed in Black. I actually got it to Kiki Palmer's agent. This was years ago. This was when Kiki was then Akila and a B. Oh my. And I, I said to my husband, she could play me, right? Uh-huh. Yeah, and I, look, I'm looking at you when you say Kiki. I'm like, yes, she can do you right now. You go and write your new screenplay. <laughs> so I got the screenplay to the agent. It took them six months to say it wasn't right for Kiki. In all honesty, it wasn't very good. But I also learned another lesson. You better have something else to show. I, it, I, that's all I had, right? So anyway, I said, well, if I can't sell my screenplay, I'm going to write a book. I used to put the pro in procrastination, so it took a long time to write the book, right? So I worked on the book for some years, and what happened with the book is that in 2015, we had a house fire. And as I'm sitting outside watching my house burn, I mean, I'm sure I was in shock, but at some point I said, well, at least I'm alive to write my book. And that lit another fire in me. And that's when I got serious about the book. That was 2015. In 2016, I got my first residency. And that's important because th this was at Jirasi in California. And the executive editor said, <clears throat> you only get here by invitation. And we only invite artists. And I thought, I'm an artist. I had... Never thought of myself that way. And when uh, once I did, everything changed, right? I got real serious. That was 2016. 2017, I got another residency. 2018, I hired an editor. She liked it. I thought, nope, I need some criticism. I hired another editor. She didn't like it. So I knew the truth was between the two of them. In the middle. Yeah. 2019, I saw a contest. She writes press. And I knew some authors there. And I said, should I enter this contest? Because if they selected you, they would publish your book. And so I entered the contest 
And that's how I got publication. Wow. No agent. No agent. Do you have an agent now? Still don't have an agent. But it, it doesn't stop me from doing anything. Nothing. I'm like, look, a part of the reason I, I wanted to do this podcast is because I am an avid learner. And I truly believe I learn best by socializing. And so the fact that you, first of all, why all the residents? Girl, there, excuse me, there is nothing like someone saying, we like your sample pages so much, we gonna bring you out here, put you in your own writing cottage, give you chef prepared meals, introduce you to people from around the world. Come on, who can say no to that? Who can say, and then you have time to work. So my first, my first residency was at Tarasi. That is a month long residency. One month. Okay. The other one is in Virginia. It's called Virginia. Uh, oh, you should apply, by the way. Virginia, Virginia Center for the Creative Arts, VCCA. And I'm telling you to enter because right now it has 50 fellowships for people of color who have never been there. So go to the website and see what you have to do, but you really, really should apply. Yes, yeah, um, I, I will. And again, you meet people from around the world. They make up your bed. You have a studio. I mean, what's, what's not the life? Oh, gosh. Oh, I'm excited now. Okay, I will. And thank you for that. Thank you. So yeah, I've been seeing some credits. One in um, Seattle, it's on an island, Whippy Island. I'll be there. Whippy, oh, you been there? I've been to Whippy. Um, I've never been to a, a residency there. So, so the residency's on Whip. It's on the island, and I'll be there for thirty-three days later this year, and I'll be working on a um, couple screenplays there. I'm like, this seems like the way to go as a writer, to get the residencies and then you have time to work and you don't have to worry about anything else. You have an excuse. I can't do that. I'll be away. And so my excuse for when I go to Whippy is, you know what? I think the um, internet's down. I, we won't be able to meet. I love it. I absolutely love that. So that here, lesson number one, residencies. Get that. Awesome. Uh, you can't hit it if you don't play. You have to apply. You have to apply. Okay. All right. Well, Ms. Farmer, we can end this right here. I think you've all schooled, you've schooled us quite a bit. Um, but, but no, we can't. We can't do that. So um, I have notes out the wazoo from this book. And I'm not going to lie to you when I tell you I have only gotten to chapter 24. And normally by this time, I'm completely done with the book. So let me apologize. I, oh, get I some, think, some more good stuff coming. <laughs> see, and that's why I'm like, I, I'd like to talk about all that stuff. But now we can't. Like, I don't want you to tell me it because. Yes, it's another surprise coming. Okay. Oh, why, why did you say that? Sorry. It would be rude of me to sit here and read while we're talking. First and foremost, can I please just say, 
I don't think I've ever read YA written like this before. And I'm like, I'm not a YA kind of person either, right? Like I don't read YA often. Uh, I have never read YA written like this before. I like I want to read this. I need to finish this book. It isn't okay. I don't know how to say this because it's going to come out crazy. I know you write this for that age group and it's appropriate for that age group and you've also somehow seemed to write it for my 48 year old brain because there are like allusions in here and I'm like you ain't gonna know what you're talking about but I'm like oh don't yes, because I didn't and there's something like oh I absolutely love the way you write you don't use words you don't use words like they're just everything. You're very particular and concise. It's like I'm frugal with my words. It's what I feel like. And every word means so much. I'm just in love with it. If all my was like this, I think the kids would be better readers and they would certainly be better thinkers. I, I think the the word choice and the brevity comes from my screenwriting background. Because when you write a screenplay, every page equals one minute. So you better be real frugal with that real estate, right? Wow. So it's, it's a combination of reasons why it's so concise like that. That's also, cool. and, and the journalism. And the journalism background. Yeah. All of it comes together, I think. Yeah. But it's so beautiful because it's not stale, right? And it's not like. It's not just information, 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 or it doesn't feel like da 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 da. It's just you have a beautiful cadence to your writing. Thank you. I it's lovely and it's lovely to read. Thank you. But also, so, you something interesting about it. You can relate to it, and I think it's because I try to be a very emotional writer, and that's the one thing we're all fluent in. We all know what it's like to be angry, mad, joyful, right? Those emotions, that's the bridge. Yeah, I think I think that's it. Um, before I, I get to some pieces that I want to ask you about, um, have you like talked to a group of kids who read your books? And if so, like, what is that response? And how 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 do they like communicate their like, dislike, whatever about? Um. So I've, I've done writing workshops with them and to help them understand how I did what I did, I say to them, I want you to write about a case in which you were bullied. Everybody has an example. Everyone has been bullied, right? If you everyone, haven't been everyone, be human. So then after they do that, I say, okay, now we're going to talk about empathy. I want you to walk in the bully shoes and explain why that person did that, right? And so that's the lesson that I'm trying to give young people. Forgiveness, mm. right? Got to learn to forgive others to heal yourself. If you can walk in your bully shoes and maybe understand what motivate them to act like that, it helps, right? So we, we do that. Um, the other lesson I try to leave them with, because I don't want to be preachy, but 
love your family, warts and all, right? But the biggest one is don't be afraid to tell the truth, right? You may be shaking in your boots. Critical thinking matters. Lies matter. Truth matters. Especially now when we're grown up at a time when there's something called alternative facts. What? We don't even know what the truth is anymore. Okay. So we talk about all those things and I, and, and I think they get it. They get it. Yeah. And, and then the book. I really want to know. How are they responding to the book? Well, I talked to one class virtually in D.C. And they, I can't even remember the questions they asked me, but this is what I remember. They said, are you writing a sequel? And I said, yes. And the entire media center went into applause. That's what I remember. <laughs> and that's all you need to remember. And I'm so happy that this is being taught in school. Like, I was going to ask you, like, is it being taught anywhere? Because you have a whole history lesson. You have like yeah, I, I don't know how many schools have it, but there's a professor. She wrote me somewhere in Texas. She uses it in her college course on, I don't know if it's history or if it's how to write. I don't know, but I know that she, some people have written to me and said they use it, but I don't know how widespread that is. Yeah. Well, I'm a former high school teacher. Okay. uh, English and literature. And I used to work with the kids who were really, really low and they, they come in with like all the hurts that couldn't see. And some of the hurts that you could see. And that was my wheelhouse. I absolutely loved working with those, those kids. Um, and even though your book is YA and they would have been freshmen at 14, that's still YA, I think. And this book right here would have been so perfect, especially for some of my girls. If they would have really seen themselves and Roberta, and they would have found solace with her and, and solidarity. Um, so I, and God, and the history, just like you slide it in there. You know, she's feeling better since she's not wearing her girdles anymore. Burn the bras. It's 1973. <laughs> A little bit of women's, women's live there, right? Yeah. And it's like, oh, you're going against women's river stock. The rivers. Yeah, you got it. Got to make it smooth, right? Yeah, it was just all of all of the the nuanced ways in which you put in a very turbulent social situation. Like is she the world? I'm trying to find this one that I I was like, wait, the bus ride. Oh. Where is the bus ride? Okay. Yeah. When she's talking to Miss Peaches. And this woman gets on the bus. And she's like, not really. It's a wig. I was inspired by your look. How's your father doing? And I can see her in these skin tight, low rise jeans. Looking like Thelma from Good Times. That's all I can see is Thelma from Good Times. And then when she says, he... My friends called me peaches. All I could hear was Nina Simone's for women. And I like, did she 
to ask her. So that's exactly where you you and Luca the sponge, you picked up stuff and then you throw it out and you don't know where you know, but maybe, maybe. It's peaches was that. What was like, that was peaches? And I never knew peaches who wasn't that, like ever. <laughs> I grew up with the peaches and she was with the mold. <laughs> Oh my God, and that's the kind of thing that I'm like, I don't know if it's intentional when you did it. So that, because I was the mom who said, if my kid's reading this book, that I'm going to, I would have enjoyed this book. I do enjoy this book. And I, so was it purposeful? Yeah, what I, if you notice, I, I believe I'm correct. There's only two curse words in the entire book. I I really tried to keep it clean enough, you know, mm-hmm. for younger people because young kids t- t- tend to read up. Like if you're 10, you might want to read something where the girls start to, you know what I mean? Exactly. So I tried to keep it as, what is it? G-rated as I could, as I yeah. could. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I saw, I, was, I, I saw, <laughs> I told my husband we were driving to get my craft desk. And I said, oh, my God. So she's like, I put sister in the titty. And it was so funny because I, I never see that word. I Ella, never see That's that what word. we called it back then. We said titty. Right? No, it's a titty. It was a titty. And I was just like, that is so cute. Like, But when it happened, that's exactly what I said. <gasps> I just hit sister in her titty. I was horrified. It was this, right? I was like, oh my God, I'm going to hell. <laughs> oh my God. Oh, let's talk about this Catholic guilt that we see ravishing her in this book, ravishing Roberta. Again, the way you show and not tell. I, you're like queen show, showing. I'm the queen of showing. Screenwriting, cinematic. Tell me without telling me. Show me without telling me. I don't need to take a screenwriting class. You should. Or you need to develop a screenwriting workshop for fiction opera. Yeah, we're we're talking about it. I run this screenwriting here. We're we're talking about doing that because we own that space. We've been meeting for 33 years. Yeah, we are going to do that. I'll let you know when we do it. Thank you. Yeah. If you need a tester, I'm your girl. Because I think that has a lot to do with, like, the beauty of your writing. It's so clean. It is so clean. And I'm just, like, immersed. I'm just right in this classroom. And when this woman hauled off and slapped, listen, I was like, what the hell? She did not just do that. And my husband's looking at me like, what are you talking about? I'm reading. And when she did it. What I was like, okay. In real life, was, in real life, she hit me three times. But an editor said, "You're you're going to lose sympathy for Roberta if you have Roberta hit her twice." So I I condensed it to twice. But in real life, it was three times. That's insane. Yeah, That's but you know, back then teachers would, you know. 
punish. They would hit kids without thinking twice. I mean, that's you that's, said when I was in elementary school. Yeah, like corporal punishment was still a thing. Teachers could right. by and wrap the ruler on your right. ankle or right. pinch you, and it was you know, it was what it was. But even after all of that, it's Roberta who was left with the guilt, and I'm assuming, which I know I shouldn't assume because I know what it does, but. I'm making a leap here that that is what you felt too. And that you felt guilt as a result. Of- I felt immense guilt because I wasn't raised to hit adults. I hate to stop right here, but we got to pay the bills. We'll be back after this message. 27%. Any guesses what that number means? Is it the number of people in the U.S. that listen to podcasts? Actually, that number is 24%. Well, in 2017, that number has increased exponentially up to 64% in March of 2023. Podcasting continues to be on the rise. It is the place to be. Only 27% of podcasts are hosted by women. Only 27%. Are you as shocked as I was? Just think of all the voices we are missing. Is your voice one of those? Is there a topic you keep thinking about? A message you know needs to be shared? Guests you know you want to interview? Or maybe you're an entrepreneur and you know that you want to help others get to know you better and know what you do. Podcasting is the way to do it. This is why I founded Authentic Connections Network. A podcast network that is so much more than you'd imagine. We take the tech and stress out of podcasting. We give you the power of a network, the power of community, education around podcasting, of coaching, individualized supports, and all the other incredible women breaking through and changing the landscape of podcasting. Isn't it time you realize your dream? We believe strongly in our creators. We believe in Ella Sean and in Black Writers Therapy. There are conversations that need to happen, stories that need to be told. An Authentic Connection Network is a place for them. Follow us on Instagram at 37 by 27 comment the word amplify on any of our posts or DM it. That feels better to you. I want to learn more about you and your goals and how maybe you could be part of Authentic Connections. And you know, I grew up at a time when there was shame and stigma. I don't know what you got to do today to embarrass your families. But when I was coming up, you didn't want to embarrass your family and you didn't want to embarrass your race. No. Okay? I was one of a few, right? So all of that was weighing on me, right? I acted like, you know, someone I shouldn't have. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it was a great deal of, a great deal of shame. Um, and how it manifested itself I think um, I saw an adult do something to me and walk away, no no repercussions, mm-hmm. never apologize, right? How that twisted up inside me is that I found it very easy, A, not to forgive people, and B, to walk away from people. To walk away from folks. Yep. And it took me a long time to work that out. And writing the book helped me realize what I was doing. Yeah. And to stop it. That's where that healing comes in. 
I yeah. love that for you. I love that because so many of the childhood hurts that manifest in our adult life, we have absolutely no idea where it came from or how it looked. And, and it's just showing up as this thing that has always been a way for protecting us. I call those thorns. We have our thorns and, and they're there to protect us, right? So I, yeah. I, we don't know how they got there. We don't know what, what grew them. And so, yeah, I think going back and being able to connect everything to that moment, that, it that all, moment. all makes sense to me. Um, look, wounded kids grow up to be wounded adults. Yeah. You've got to heal, right? You've got to heal. So you stop hurting others with it. <laughs> exactly. That's why I always say we're all here on a healing journey. If someone says, oh, I'm a whole person. You are a whole hot mess and you just don't know it. Yeah. So, wow. And it's just, I'm thinking this one little incident, this is the one incident and you have all of these things that, yeah. I was going to ask, do you know what happened to this? To this nine? Yeah. People ask that. So, you know, when you're a kid, everyone looks old to you. Like in my mind, she's an old woman, but she could have been 30. Who knows? You know what I mean? Right. But, but I don't know what happened to her. When I when I finished school, you know, I never went back. Um, yeah, I, I, I have no idea. Wow. See, I'm a petty girl. I'm so petty. Petty Betty. I like to think of it as competitive. That way, you know... <laughs> I'm I'm pushing forward in my pettiness, but right. I had to know. I had to find out what happened to her. Yeah, just for my own. I don't know. Curiosity it happened in sixth grade. My elementary school went up to eighth grade, so I graduated. And then that summer, I found out. I think it was that summer that I found out that I had won the contest. So I ain't had time to think about her. Right. Well, thank yeah. God for that because you 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 had reason to move on. All right. Exactly. Wow. So you say that you love writing strong females um, who are in search of identity and they find their truth and they are about service to to people or, or their their race and amplifying all the right things. Um, and I know, yes, this is coming from that space. Yeah, yeah. And how do you feel when people say, you know, after reading this book, I thought, Maybe I needed to X, Y, Z, and they go off and they do something. Or is that a thing? You mean go off and do something positive or something negative? Or they even say, after reading the book, I, I see myself in this way. I want to be a leader. I want to be stronger. Um, I think I had a couple girls tell me that. not Maybe two years ago after they read the book. Um... I don't know what I said to them. Oh, good. Great. I'm glad I look good on you. <laughs> I mean, but I think because so many of the young girls um, are idolizing uh, yeah. and dancers and all these and like housewives and you know, fashions, right? Yeah. And so I don't know that, that most YA writers are thinking, hey, this protagonist could really be some child's like I want to be like this person I, 
I hope so, Ella, but not in the sense of I'm not advocating girls to hit adults. Although I think in this case it was more self-defense, but that that area is a little dicey because, you know, I, I hit a nun. <laughs> yeah, but also it shows that you're writing realistic characters. Right, realistic. I can attest to yeah. Look, yeah. anybody go off on a student like that in today's time, I couldn't imagine a kid sitting there taking yeah, yeah, you're right. I was, I guess, I was ahead of my time. But that reminds me, a young, a young girl did recommend my book after she read it to her English teacher for mm -hmm. a good example of realistic fiction. She did. There you go. She just wrote me that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so I, I think, um, I often talk about like how black women, when we write, we write our healing into the book, and it is like osmosis when readers get it. And a lot of times readers may not even know that they have these areas of hurt that need to be healed. But through reading, like, you know, your words, they're like, wait, that's like, ooh, that just opened up something in me. Uh, and even though I know when I'm writing, I'm writing. That's it, I'm writing. But it's not like, oh, I want, I want this to happen. And yet, I... but but this is why this is fiction, because in real life, I didn't heal that quickly. No, so I had to make the lessons that I learned quicker. Roberta is a whole lot smarter than I was, right? Because she well, she things rather quickly. But I wanted to leave that with the you know with the young people. Yeah, those were the lessons for you to learn. That's why I did. And that's how it, I mean, I think that's, that's the only way you could do that, right? Because fiction gives you that license to say, this happened on this day, and then a month later, it was this way. And that's like what we wanted to happen, there right? Yeah. But yeah, in reality, no, that's that's yeah. not how the cookie crumbles at all. But yeah. still, allowing people to resonate with that type of hurt that maybe they didn't think. I've had something like that, and maybe that's what this is, this feeling all the time when I'm blah, blah, blah. And um, so I know your word choice is very important to you. How about the tone and the mood? Because really, like, the whole thing works, okay? Like, it just works. And so are you very conscientious about the tone you're setting with? Yeah, because, look, even though this is a girl's journey, right, through this horrible thing that happened to her, nobody's going to read 270 pages of a pity party. Besides, teenagers are trapeze artists in the mood department. They're up, they're down, they're crazy. And so I had to embrace that, right? Yes. Bird is a funny girl. So, yeah, there's moments of, of, of tragedy, but there's also moments she, she's a funny kid. And I yeah. think her sense of humor helps her too, right? Mm hmm Hoping tool. So the tone for me had to be, it had to really echo a typical 13-year-old. And typical 13-year-olds, their hormones are raging, they're, they're kids one day, they're adults the next, you know, all that stuff. 
I had to just kind of infuse in that character. And you did. You did. It, it really, I almost had like, you know, a little PTSD moment from my girls. I have three daughters and going through 13, three times with girls. Yeah, Roberta hit the nail on the head. She really did. Um, but then it's like, and then the way she was with her brother, I love that. Because I, I, I saw that with my, with my, with my girl. Um, you know, she could be kind of rough and tough with them, but don't let nobody else touch her sisters. The other thing that was interesting about this book, and I didn't know I was doing this, you know, initially Roberta thinks the world of two men, Daddy and Malcolm, and she has to find her way to her mother, who is her true role model. That was cutting close to the bone. I didn't know I was doing that, but that's what I had to do in real life. You know I have this written down somewhere, right? I was like, you hit this mother-daughter relationship. Like, like that thing is so serious because in a way, it, I, I'm reading it. I'm like, oh, I'm so glad to see that this is a solid mother-daughter relationship. And then I, as I continue reading, wait a minute here. So, some friction. It's a little bit of friction. Oh, wait, there's some actual dislike. There's, and it was like, that way but you know I gosh I'm 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 writing I'm writing right now and it's exploring this whole paradigm of honor thy mother and father even when and I'm like I've never been able to do it and that's kind of what I'm exploring and I think that's kind of what you were exploring in fact you said oh my god I just missed one half of the, the, the honor thy mother and father but, and it's always that way with girls, I think. So when I was still working on this, I showed it to my mom. It was a draft. And I noticed she put it down. And I'm thinking, why is my mom not reading, you know, my manuscript? And then I realized it. And I said, mommy, you have to keep reading because she's going to find her way to her mother. I was hurting her feelings, yeah. right? Yep. I mean, but that's just the way I think mother-daughter relationships are. And I don't, I don't know why. That's why I'm exploring it because my girls are older and I'm feeling like, oh, I did this to my mom too. Especially if the mother and daughter are kind of alike. <laughs> and that's when it is, yeah. And, and look, and here's the, the truth of it all. The one kid that has driven me to explore this concept is my clone. Oh, well, naturally, <laughs> emotionally, spiritually, she is my clone. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, yeah, I think I think that is another telling uh, way that that we we do stuff in our writing, and we don't even realize that we're we're working stuff out that we had issues with. It's it's a love letter to my mom. Who knew? Oh my God, I love that. Who knows? I, I didn't that. know. If you ever do like the anniversary edition, just yeah, a love letter to my mom because that's exactly what it is. I had uh, Yasmin Ango on. She's with the Nina Knight series and she said, yeah, this is definitely a love letter to my dad. And I just thought that's really sweet. And we do that and we don't even know. We don't even know. Um, 
Let's see. Let me check our time here. Okay. We're going to try to get into this um, this audacity of Black writer women. And that, that how do you, Miss Farmer, have the audacity? Audacity? You go into a publishing company and say, hey, I'm going to enter this contest and we're going to publish my book. And they do. You've been entering contests for a long time and winning. You have the audacity to do whatever you want to do. And because none of these spaces are particularly friendly and held for black women. And yet, here you are. I, I tell my friends, and I'm kind of not joking when I say this, I move through the world like a white man. Stop, because I know exactly where you're going. But please share with the listening audience. I move because... You know how they feel like they should be wherever and they feel like they're the smartest person at the table. So I'm just, I just act like them. I, in all honesty, Robin, that is the greatest piece of advice I have ever heard. Move through the world like a white man. You know how they have their privilege. They just assume they're supposed to be there. Don't question why. Right. That seat's for me. I'm going to take it. And if there's no room at the table, I'm going to bring a soul enough for another seat. I, <laughs> I don't even know what to say. I'm so serious. That is the best piece of advice. Like, usually, we're going on and on. We're talking about it, and I love all the conversation. You little miss journalist, screenwriter, you just get right to the point and move forward like a white man. Few words. <laughs> Yeah, you just act like you belong. Because you know what? You do. You do. You may not think it, and you may not think what I did, so sit over there and be quiet. That's the sticker. Move through the world like a white man. I'm going to do the Robin Farmer. Look, I'm, I'm opening a sticker business. I'm going to do the Robin Farmer stickers because you have, like, some serious one-liners. I'll send you a pack if you can send me your PR, your PO. Seriously, as a thank you, because my word, I. Now, what if I'm not able to do that? You can fake it till you make it. And let me give you an example. So even though I said that the first time I went to a residency, Ella, I was like, did they make a mistake? Am I supposed to be here? Because there were people where the day won Emmys and, you know, all these. And it's just little on me, right? When it came time to read our works in progress, when I finished, I knew I belonged because I could hang with the best of them. So I was faking it, but when I read that thing, I was like, yeah, I belong. Yeah, th yeah, this is where I'm supposed to be. I And I'm like, I've had so many of those moments this year alone. Like every time I reached out to a writer, and the writer says, oh, yeah, I'll do your job. It's going on. And I feel almost in a surreal headspace. Right. Right. I dreamed about this. Right. What is like happening? It's not a mistake. You're, you're supposed to do that. And so, but, but, but I hear what you're saying. 
There are moments when you feel that imposter syndrome, but honey, you just got to sit there and breathe and just bring all your acting skills. Cause that, that moment will pass. It'll pass. It does. Yes, it does. I, I just did a TikTok about that. I've been just speaking positive words to myself yeah. and yeah. reminding myself that this is what I'm, I'm designed to do. Because but here's the thing. I know some very, very accomplished authors, they still feel that way. It's not just, yeah, it's everyone. Everyone goes through that. Am I supposed to be here? Moment. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I, I wonder if, if Black women and writers, because that's what my focus is, like how often like some of these writers who get like crazy things happening to them are like, wait. I think it happens to us more, especially if we're one of a few in these white spaces, right? Exactly. I, I, I think black, for, yeah, yeah, for, for the black women writers who are like up there, I think that actually like more of a problem, the imposter syndrome and the, the doubting of one's ability and self. Um, yeah, that's, and that's concerning. That's really concerning. But I will tell you, I will tell you, if you apply to VCCA and you get in, and I'm pretty sure you will, you don't have to read your work, um, but I encourage you to do so. I enjoy reading my work. They, but they need to hear, you know what I'm saying? They, yeah. need to hear it. they need to hear it. Yeah. Yeah. I'm definitely going to do that. And in this short little time, you've given so much. And I don't like we have we have to play the game. Okay. Six minutes. Okay. Here's the game. I want to give you a word. All right. And you're going to tell me an anecdotal story. And we're going to end it with a hashtag. Bookish. Black. Right right black. Right. Oh. Yeah. Right. And wildly. Yeah, and then hashtag writers like writing while black. Okay. Do you have your three hashtags? Uh huh. Okay. Yep. Marin. What am I going with? Sensuous is your first word. So you want a story? <clears throat> an anecdote from your life or yeah um so when I was 16 I met a politician who I knew I loved but I couldn't be with him and one day when I was home from college during summer we talked and then we kissed on the corner and I remember thinking, this is what love feels like, because I disappeared for several seconds. I just didn't know where I was. Um, writer's life? <laughs> Aztec? Girl, that's a Janie moment from <laughs> Janie moment. You just wrote Nora. Oh, my goodness. shared that story, but it's absolutely true. And he said, you're going to ruin my career or something like that. Because we kissed for so long. Oh, my God. 
Okay, look, uh, you can shut my mouth. Sweet. Your second word, trailblazer. Trailblazer. Um, so in journalism, there's a job called projects reporter slash investigative journalist. And those are the people that are sort of the cream of the crop at the newspaper. Mm-hmm. And I always wanted that job. And I finally got it in 2000. And it's the sort of job where you get months to, to work on stories. It's like you died and got journalism heaven. Writer, hashtag writer's life. God, that is so cool. Now, those I think about journalism. And that's the journalism that I hold in the highest esteem. I mean, really, to be honest, because the stories that you guys rate, it's like, oh, wow. Changed lives. Did you break big stories? I did. Oh, shoot. I only have an hour. Why are you doing this to me? <laughs> I'm going to have to have you back on. Um, Reality check. Reality check. Oh, this is a good one. So, um, during the pandemic, I had a party in my mouth every day and I gained 40 pounds. Hashtag writer's life. (laughs) That was it. During the pandemic, I had a party in my mouth and I gained 40 pounds. Girl, that was the best time ever. Look, I had so much fun during the pandemic, not because of the party in my mouth, but because I was like, oh, can't come over. I can't come out. Sorry. Yeah. yeah. I was in heaven. Yeah. I don't know what that makes me, but ooh, I was in heaven. And your final word is a two for one, and it starts with Y. So there are really few words that I can give you. So we're going to go with yuck, yum. Give me one yuck. And one young. So I don't know if you ever saw the movie Eraserhead, but there was a contest at my college to name the baby in it. And I named the baby Baby Yakapui. And I won. I won a free pass all semester to all the movies. (laughs) If you see see Eraserhead, you'll know why I named it that. Is that a horror movie? I don't know if it's horror. Maybe more psychological thriller. I don't know if it's horror. It's been so I'll, I'll add it. Huh? It's been so long since I've seen it. I don't think it's horror. Yeah, I've I've never seen it, but I'm gonna ask my daughter because she looks at all the, the, the movies. Uh right. and you're young? Yum. Okay, that's easy. So I came to Richmond in nineteen eighty seven, thought I would be here a year or two, go back to Philadelphia. But I met the man who I would marry. And so if I had to come to Richmond to find him, that's fine. That's my yum. We've been together 30 years. That's my yum. And I guess it's hashtag writer's life. Okay. You have such a great life, such an interesting life. I think because you accept all of it and you're making your peace with all of it. Hashtag writer's life works. So if you can tell the listening audience, um, nope, not that yet. I have to give you your homework. Now, I asked on the intake form, who would you recommend sit on my couch for for the next podcast session? 
Do you remember who gave me? Did I give you someone's name? Yeah. Let me think. Who did I say? Because Stacy recommended me. Did I recommend Christina Hamlet? No, you recommended Leanne Francis Sharma. Lauren. Lauren. She wrote. Lauren. Yeah, she wrote Till the Well Runs Dry. Honey, that is such a good book. It's fabulous. And her second book is, um, oh gosh, The Little Axe. Oh, oh God, forgive me. It's got something to do with an axe. It's a Western. A Western? I have not read oh, yeah. a Western in forever. Yeah, it's a Western. She wrote a Western. She wrote, yeah. A reimagined Western. Yeah, she, Lauren is pretty deep. I met her at a, wasn't a fellowship. It was a 10-day retreat where you can't apply. They invite 10 people for 10 days. That's how I met Lauren. So thank you so much for agreeing to be on the show. And I, again, am looking forward to whatever it is you put out. And if I can ever do or be anything for you, please don't hesitate. All right. Thank you so much. And I will circle back when we do that uh, screenwriting program. Yeah, because I, I think that's going to be the best thing since sliced bread. Yeah, because a lot of novelists are trying to transfer to that medium. You already have the storytelling skills. You just need to learn the technique and the mm-hmm. tips. Yeah. Yeah. I think so. Well, let me know. I'll be- okay. All right. Bye-bye. Thank you for joining me for this session of Black Writer Therapy. Be sure to follow and leave a review wherever you listen to your favorite podcast. And keep the conversations going on Instagram using our hashtag Black Writer Therapy. I'm your host and unlicensed therapist, Alishan, reminding you to be kindest to yourself first, always and in all ways. See you guys next week. Bye.